at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The first lesson, Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judah heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Answered from heaven, or, this happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction where we were. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles that repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Well, today we gather for worship while also reflecting on a major milestone a pivotal point between what has been and the exciting potential of what will be. There is change and excitement and nervousness and all that doing a new thing entails. I, of course, am referring in part to our high school graduates who are in their graduation gowns this morning and standing, metaphorically, somewhere in that gray area between childhood and adulthood, between dependence on you who have raised them and a fuller independence that their impressive and growing capabilities make possible. But interestingly enough, this week as I considered the coming of age that is marked by high school graduation, I could actually see something similar happening in our first scripture reading from today, from Acts chapter 11. It of course did not include 18-year-olds in caps and gowns, but in this case, it is the early church, that fledgling group of apostles and believers who were tasked with carrying on Jesus' mission into a new chapter in history. Because the church, too, found itself in a time of transition. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, suddenly Jesus is not there with them to walk beside them, 
to physically model and guide their every step. And instead, the church is now entrusted with the more sophisticated work of going forth out into the wide world on their own, relying now on the Holy Spirit for leading and guidance and vision and wisdom. But first, let's think for a minute about our graduates. As much as graduation is about looking to the future, it's also about celebrating where you started and how far you've come. I know that senior year is often occasion to pull out the old photos and tell the favorite stories of old memories and reminisce about your adorable little baby and toddler selves and your cute elementary selves and your preciously awkward middle school selves as you began to outgrow your childish ways and grow into new ways of thinking and being. And along the way, as you grew up, the stories that helped you make sense of the world were shifting, too. This process of making meaning in this world, it all starts with fairy tales, of course. For all of us, and for you seniors, that probably was fairy tales as portrayed by Disney and Pixar or DreamWorks. And fairy tales absolutely have a place in our childhood. These tales teach us about good and evil how to recognize which is which and what that looks like. And they paint good and evil as black and white so we are sure to be able to recognize and identify which is which. Fairy tales teach us that there are good people and there are bad people. There are heroes and villains. And fairy tales teach us about love, often the willingness to sacrifice safety and security for the sake of another. And fairy tales go, if love is true, then it's amazingly powerful, allowing you to simply live happily ever after. But as we grow and mature from children into adults, our understanding expands. The lessons that we learned in the fairy tales take on much more nuance as we hold them up against the realities of the world we experience. Yes, good and evil are real and true, but we discover that rather than having some good people and some bad people, good and bad exist alongside each other within all of us. We all have the capacity to be villains in certain circumstances, or as we say in theological terms, all of us are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. And we all have the capacity for goodness that is the image of God in each of us as well. We all have the potential to show forth the great love with which God first loved us. So, as Lutherans say, we are simultaneously saint and sinner. And so, as the good and evil within struggle for expression, what was black and white in the fairy tales looks like a million shades of gray in real life. And quite apart from the fairy tales, in real life, we learn that, yes, love is certainly powerful, but even if it is wide and deep and true, love can be hard. And there's no such thing as happily ever after, not in romantic love or in any kind of love, but rather, we know that all relationships need intentional tending and care to sustain them. And all relationships include conflict at some point or another. Love isn't easy, not even with our favorite people, and it's especially hard to love those whom we don't especially like. 
and those who are different from us. And part of being human and part of following Jesus is learning to figure that out. Not once, not even just twice, but throughout the years and across a lifetime. How to persistently practice love. How to make loving choices and set loving boundaries in complicated relationships. And how to reflect God's love into the world when the world doesn't reflect it back to us. So the fairy tales held their own truths, but they were oversimplified for the sake of an earlier time. And as we grow, we have to move beyond the clear lines and the distinct labels and easy answers into the beautiful messiness and the complex richness of life in this wild world that God created. And isn't this exactly the challenge in front of the early church in the book of Acts? This group of apostles and believers grew up and lived with clear distinctions and firm boundaries. They knew their labels. They were Jewish, as Jesus was, and their identity as a people set apart from all others was so important. Throughout history, they were God's chosen people, and their identity and their belonging was based on the rules and laws and customs and formulas that set them apart and made them different, that defined who was in and who was out. These markers were woven into how they ate, how they worshipped, how they dressed, how they lived. And that is why when our reading opens in Acts chapter 11, there is conflict. Peter is in trouble with the church. Peter is being questioned and criticized because word has gotten back that he has blurred those lines and broken the rules. He's crossed a boundary and ignored a distinction. An important distinction as far as that first church was concerned, the distinction between us and them. The line between insiders and outsiders, specifically that historically critical line between Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish Christians said, why did you go to those other kind of people, those uncircumcised men? They are not part of us. What were you thinking? And as Peter begins to speak, it becomes clear that blurring this distinction was not Peter's idea. It was God's idea. It was God's plan and intention that the gospel of Jesus Christ be not only for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where it all started, but rather for all people of every nation. And this profound story in Acts 11 is about how the early church began taking tentative steps beyond those boundaries that they had so meticulously kept. Because with Jesus, everything changed. The whole premise shifted. No longer is one's identity as a child of God based on laws or customs, No longer is one's belonging to do with lineage or ethnicity, nor what has been done or accomplished. Our belonging has nothing to do with visible differences or human distinctions. Rather, we are all children of God because we were created in God's image and loved beyond measure, and in grace God claims us as God's own before we do a thing. So this was and this is a new and exciting step in God's mission to save the whole world with horizons now endlessly broadened. 
and the early church in Acts was only just beginning to recognize it. As Peter relayed to them, the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. And what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And so with the not-so-subtle prodding of the Holy Spirit, their understanding is shifting and growing and expanding and maturing in order to faithfully carry out God's mission. As Paul will write plainly later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. This is a good story to reflect on for our graduates today. As you go out into the wide world and meet new people in new places, you may be tempted to fall back on the certainties of your childhood, as we all are each day. Because it's in us somewhere as humans, this sort of tribalism that makes us want to define who is in and who is out, who is good and who is bad, who is like us and who is other. And we'll want to neatly label them according to their politics or their socioeconomic status or their skin color, their sexual orientation or their citizenship or any number of other ways we generalize the other. Today we are reminded that God has already spoken definitively on this. We see that God is already working beyond every boundary that we humans create. And before we can make any kind of distinctions among ourselves, what's truer still is that we and they are first and foremost brothers and sisters in Christ. It won't be easy. And that's another reason why this story in Acts is so profound, because we must recognize that it would have been far easier for those first believers to cling to their old way of thinking the teachings of their youth that were clear and distinct and black and white, easy to understand and simple to communicate. And yet this passage ends not with their grumbling or resentment, but instead with the church acknowledging the movement of the Holy Spirit, setting aside their previous convictions, and praising God for the inclusion of the outsiders in the plan of salvation. As does every story of the church, this one turns not on what humans are doing, but what God is doing. But that doesn't mean we can't strive to respond as these members of the early church did. With valid questions, followed by listening and understanding, that both give way to praise and thanksgiving. I know I've been thinking of and talking to maybe specifically our high school graduates, but the thing is that none of us are ever too old to mature in our faith. And that doesn't happen with a simple action like moving a tassel from side to side. It's a lifelong process to keep on realizing that when it comes to what really matters in life, like love, identity, and belonging, our human distinctions simply aren't part of it. In fact, our human rules, labels, and boundaries are obstacles that often get in the way. And Peter knew that. As he justified his actions to his accusers, he made plain why the rule had to go. Who was I that I could hinder God? And who are we that we could hinder God? 
Just as the Holy Spirit was at work in the early church, the Holy Spirit is among us as the church today, prompting us always to reimagine and to imagine again according to God's vision. What is important? What is possible? Who is included? As the church always reforming, we are always at a pivotal point between what has been and the exciting potential of what will be. The challenge for today and each day of the future is to hold our own rules and formulas, labels and convictions with open hands rather than with tightly clenched fists. Because with open hands, we are ready to receive the love and grace of God without condition or distinction. And while our hands are open, we can better see and recognize just what a gift we have been given. And we can more easily share that same love and grace with those around us. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. May it be so.